<clears throat> so I've pointed this out. So there's, there's, a, there's a challenge when you come into Christmas and when you come into Easter, when you come into some of those times in the church calendar that can be really, really familiar. It's been a struggle all week. Like I'm sitting there going, okay, we've got Palm Sunday coming, we've got Easter coming. And of course you want something fresh and you want something new and you want some, like, because the temptation is, is to go, okay, this is just another Palm Sunday message. I get it. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and our minds and our hearts check out. And the reason why I had you all pray this morning is that I'm hoping to fight against that. I'm hoping to combat against that and that the, the God of heaven and his faithful Holy Spirit would actually move in us and change us today and hopefully illuminate something specific to our hearts that we either need to surrender to him or maybe receive some encouragement by him, whatever it might be this morning. So as we get into this text today, Luke 19, verse 28, it says this, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and when... <clears throat> he drew near to Bethphage and to Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Yet, uh, excuse me, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I pointed this out in years past, but have you ever noticed how Jesus, through much of his earthly ministry, was rather cryptic about who he was. He was rather veiled about his godness, about that, that he, in fact, was the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. You ever notice how throughout much of the gospel, he's rather veiled and cryptic about who he is? I think about in Mark 7. He heals a deaf man with a speech impediment. And he says to him at the end of it, don't tell anyone about this. Right? There's, I can think of other healings that he's done where he sends them away and, and charges them not to reveal who he is or to say anything about what had happened. I think about Peter's confession of Christ as you see it in Matthew chapter 16 or Luke chapter 9 or actually in Mark chapter 8. Let's read there in verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples, verse 27, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? 
And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. Verse 29, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. In verse 30, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. It's like getting an A on the report card, an A plus on the report card, and it never actually hitting the fridge. It's like giving the right answer, but then you can't do anything with that. In some of the other accounts, he's like, blessed are you, Peter, right? Because flesh has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Like this was something that was an act of God, that you would know that I am the Christ, but don't tell anybody about it just yet. Through much of his earthly ministry, Jesus was slowly revealing himself to people who had eyes to see and who had ears to hear. And I think part of that is because if he would have made the broad claim to be the Christ or the long-awaited Messiah, he would have been killed by the Jews for blasphemy way before the appointed time. Way before he was able to spread the gospel and call his disciples and turn the world upside down with his amazing love. But now it seems it's time for the big reveal. In public speaking or in movies and in video and things like that, like there's a moment for the reveal. And a lot of times you're working on a storyline or you're working on crafting some bit of uh, oration that would bring some hearer or some listener to the point of going, ah, where the reveal happens and all of a sudden you've gripped their soul with it and it seems like now on this road to Jerusalem, on the back of a donkey, it is time for the reveal. As he rides in, in such a humble fashion, amongst the pomp and the circumstance of palm branches, which are this beautiful symbol of victory and triumph and peace, they lay their coats on the ground before him like a red carpet for royalty. He's on the back of a young donkey, seemingly too humble, but even as so, it was truly fit for a king. And this king was God's appointed Messiah king. Many of you know this, but in that time, for a king to ride in a, on a donkey wasn't necessarily odd. But it was um, when that king would choose that mode of transportation that was important. See, a king, when he was going out for battle to show strength and might, he would ride in on a noble steed, on a horse, on something magnificent. But if it was peacetime, or maybe the war was over and you have already sealed the victory, you would ride in on a humble beast like a donkey. Thus, our Jesus is that king of peace. Because all victory, all life, all salvation, all peace is found in him. He rides in and ultimately fulfills prophecy written about 500 years prior in Zechariah chapter 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, 
humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colts, the foal of a donkey. He is the king of peace. And peace is an interesting quality because so many times we think of peace in a very circumstantial way, a very outside of us way, but peace really starts first and foremost in our hearts. We're coming out of a pandemic, right? We're coming out of it. Please tell me we're coming out of it. Assure me now that we're coming out of it, please. We're coming out of a pandemic, out of an election year, okay? It was the perfect storm for chaos, for division, for dissension, discord, protests, riots. Anyone been feeling a lack of peace, right? Absolutely. But peace starts so much closer to home. See, sin is the cause of discord and division. Sin is the cause of pain and death. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Sin is the cause of a lack of peace. Not just a dysfunctional family unit. How many of you know that? Sin creates the chasm and the lack of peace that we feel in our hearts and lives. The lack of peace is the manifestation or the result of sin that has polluted relationships. First and foremost, my relationship with the creator of my soul. Peace is a very relational quality. Two things, usually people Being in harmony with one another and being at peace is a beautiful thing. But if you think about it in music, I I said at first service, man, there are a lot of times I like to sit in the, uh, particularly in the front row here because then most of you are behind me and I can just sing as loud as I want and the only people that hear me is maybe the band. And I can sing as loud and maybe off as I want. And the only one who has to deal with it is Nate, who's trying to sing on key for all of you. But I will boldly sing some notes that are pretty sour and it sounds pretty bad. And if you are a music person at all, you hear that and you go like this. Like it, it, it like makes your face physically like, ah, like. It's the same thing in our relationships, polluted by sin. It's the same thing in our relationship with our Heavenly Father because of the pollution of sin. And Jesus Christ our king of peace, the one who humbly came on a donkey, but 30 years earlier humbly came in a manger that maybe a donkey ate from, comes and make this bold declaration that he is the long-awaited Messiah king to bring peace. Jesus came humbly on a donkey, riding to his death so that we could not just experience the feelings of peace, but ultimately be put at peace in right relationship with God himself. Each one of us has been feeling the effects of sin. And in this last year, I feel like I've felt it so much more. And some of it's very good and beautiful. And, and I, I do, I feel like now, 
uh, as opposed to a year from a year ago. I feel like I so vividly see the worthlessness of this world and the worthiness of Jesus. Anybody else? Like if that's, if that's anything, like, and I guess that's probably everything, right? To see the surpassing worth of Jesus all the more clearly in the uncertainty of this world, the uncertainty of politics, the uncertainty of the economy, or anything else that we could ever hope in, and how that just leaves us utterly dry and short, and that, that tension and that discord that I feel in my heart is maybe that I have one foot still in the world, clinging to the things of the world. And yet in his faithfulness, he beckons my heart. He says, let it go. Let it all go. Find yourself in me and me alone. I'm so grateful that the King of Peace has come. Not just so that I could experience the feelings of peace that is very circumstantial, but that my heart and my soul is put at peace and in right relationship with God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 points to that work, us being justified by Jesus. It says in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's through the faith in Christ Jesus, our King of Peace. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse... Uh, actually, let's read 11 verses. Let's read them all here. Uh, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. There's that right standing. There's that relationship. When you are justified, you are declared not guilty. It's a legal type word where you are declared not guilty before God of heaven. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering, okay, a lack of peace, trials, turmoil, chaos. It does something. It produces endurance. And endurance produces character, verse 4. Character produces hope, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Thank you, Jesus. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's Easter coming. Thank you, Jesus. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, whom, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation is a fancy word for a relationship being put at peace. It was reconciled, 
put back in right standing because of the work of Christ. And through faith in him, we have peace. Peace that transcends beyond circumstance and brings joy in the middle of trial. Do you trust that he is sovereign and in control? Do you trust that Jesus is sovereign and in control? And even more so, do you trust that he loves you and he is good? See, here's the thing about that, the idea of that. I have a lot of opinions about how God should do things. Anybody else? What a bold statement, right? Like, ugh, like the amount of pride that's in that statement. But it's all true, right? Our pride rises up and we have an opinion about how God should do things. God. Okay, it's not just his name, it's who he is. He's God. Lord of all. I feel foolish for even saying any of this. And when he doesn't do things the way I think he should, I start to doubt him, which is strange because he's God. And I am so small and finite. Do I trust that he is sovereign and in control when I'm feeling the world crumble around me and I do not see any peace? Do I trust that he is sovereign in control? But even more than that, more personal than that, do I trust that he loves me and that he is good? If there's anything that the Passion Week shows me, that the King of Peace shows me, is that he is sovereign and in control, but yes, he loves me and is good. Because as he humbly rides in, making the declaration that I am the Messiah King, I am the one that you've hoped for all of your generations, he knows he's going to the cross in a few short days. He knows what's about to happen in a few short days. And these people are waving palm branches and all of the shouting, blessed is the one who comes. And then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and all of it. And he looks at the city and what does he do? Tears well up in his eyes. He knows that their understanding of the situation is a little skewed. He knows that they're not fully understanding the type of peace that he is bringing, a peace that transcends circumstance, a, a peace that transcends Roman ocup occupancy, right? They're thinking, man, he's going to come and he's going to overthrow the ones who oppress us. Our king has come, the, the one, the son of David has come, and Rome is going to get it now. I think about Zacchaeus, which actually, if you read back, I think uh, his story is just a little bit further back in, in Luke. Think about Matthew, like tax collectors. Tax collectors, Jews, put on the payroll for the Romans to then tax their own people to pay for the soldiers that are occupying their land. Oh, no wonder they were so hated. As he drew near to the city, he saw, verse 41, saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would you, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. 
but now they're hidden from your eyes. He weeps over the city and shows me his great love for his people. He's got sorrow over the misplaced hope. He has sorrow over their misunderstanding of what really makes for peace, the peace that transcends even Rome. He loves them and he wants their eyes to be open to what real peace looks like. For me and you, he loves us so much that in a few short days, he's going to pay for every one of our sins. And the full wrath of God, the full wrath of God that is due me, that is due you, the full wrath of God that we deserve is going to be put on the Messiah King, on the one who comes so humbly on a donkey. He's going to satisfy the wrath of God because he loves you and he loves me. I need to trust in Christ and in his victory. Because when I trust that he is sovereign and in control, and when I trust that he loves me and he is good, then and then only will I find true peace in his victory. So I was looking at this text this week, actually a song from when I was a kid from Sunday school popped into my brain, and it's actually from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he's going to make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, but lean not on your own understanding. It's like I trust in my understanding with most of my heart and then when it doesn't work out for me, then I have to lean in on him. Anybody else? Sometimes life doesn't feel very victorious. Sometimes life is full of chaos, discord, division. And it doesn't feel like we're winning. We've got to think long game. We have to remember where our home is. We have to remember that we are just passing through this life as sojourners. We have to remember that Christ secured it And so we do have victory. Next Sunday proves it. Next Sunday proves the ultimate victory that we have in Christ Jesus when Christ himself beats sin, when Christ himself beats death, when Christ himself goes to the cross and finally defeats our enemy and rises again. Because he rose we too will have victory and rise. But do you recognize his visitation? Do you recognize his beckoning? Verse 41 of our text again this morning says, When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace! Exclamation point. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
See, Jesus here prophesying what was to come like the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, but also for those outside of Christ, for those who do not receive him as Lord, who do not place their faith and hope and trust in him, those who have not been reconciled and justified through the work of Christ, there will be another visitation and it will be of judgment and destruction. Christ is coming again. He will come again and he will either be your prince of peace or he will be the judge that comes and you will experience that judgment and wrath. As we conclude today, do you know what it takes to have peace? Do you know what it takes to experience peace, a peace that starts in your soul and transcends all of your circumstances? The word that jumps to mind as I was writing this out this week is humility. You know what it takes for peace? Humility. If you've ever been in a relationship or you've ever had a relationship, that's everybody. You know, it takes some humility sometimes to just lay yourself down. Husbands, wives, right? You understand the humility that it takes to have peace in that relationship. But I'm grateful because Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, right? Verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, okay, this is the mindset we have in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every knee shall humble itself before the one who humbled himself. Every And in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ, our Messiah King, the one who rode in humbly on a donkey, humbled himself. From the manger to the donkey to the cross, he humbled himself so that you and I might have peace. Be put at peace. Be in a relationship of peace with the God who created us. He humbled himself. And he calls you and me to humble ourselves before him. As we conclude our service today, I'd like everyone in this place to bow your heads and close your eyes. There may be some of you in this room that you have never experience salvation through Jesus. Maybe you have some experience with church. Maybe it's been more of a religion thing or more of a tradition thing, but you know in your soul, you feel it today 
that you need to be put at peace with God. You need to experience justification and reconciliation that is found through faith in Jesus. And you'll feel it in your soul. You know you need that peace. If you're in this place, I'd love to pray for you. If you wouldn't mind, just maybe look up and catch my eye so I can include you in my prayer. There's, like Dan said last week, there's nothing magical about any prayer that I'm going to pray, but I just I want you to make that declaration and I want to pray with you today. Just look up and catch my eye. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Thank you. Maybe there's others in this room that you're a believer, you walk with God, you you follow Jesus, and maybe it's just been a really rough go. Not just normal 2020 stuff. (laughs) Normal 2020 stuff, that's good. You're just struggling right now, and you need the peace that passes all understanding to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit to give you that peace today. It's totally fine. Confess that to your God. Lay that before your God. Humble that before your humble yourself before your God and allow him to pour out his spirit and give you that peace. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you as well. Could you just look up and catch my eye as well? Thank you. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Father, I pray for my friends today. God, for those that are in this place and they know they need to place their faith in Jesus and experience this peace of salvation found in you, God, today meet them. I pray that they would understand the fullness of you and your love for them, that you are sovereign and in control, but you are also wonderfully in love with them and good. And God, that you would meet them where they're at. And God, that they would just, their hearts and their souls would be at rest and at peace with the God who is the King of peace. God, for my brothers and sisters in this room, God, that They're going through some really tough stuff right now. They need peace in their circumstances. They need to feel your presence right now. God, I pray that your spirit would be with them. God, that they would see the fullness of you. God, that your presence would eclipse all of their circumstances. God, that they would experience that peace that does pass all understanding. God, that you would guard their hearts in you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, your church, your people. We thank you, God, that you love us and call us to yourself. God, give us the boldness and the humility to keep responding to you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand up. Let's sing together before we go.